0: you like to turn in your bibles please to the book of philemon and to verse 15 we are working our way leisurely through the book of philemon and um i hope we don't go too slow but we have to go slow enough to give me some idea as to what i want to preach on next and if i finish it too soon i won't know quite what we're meant to be doing next so um, do pray for me for wisdom and guidance and Uh, the Lord's leading, but we're in Philemon, still at verse 15. Perhaps the reason he, that's Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, or as our translation says, for good. About a month ago, I read in a magazine about a lady whose four-year-old daughter got a brain tumor, and died. And the poor mother was distraught, utterly distraught. Why would God let this happen to me? And she started looking for answers, and she says she found a lot of comfort from the teachings of a guy called Gregory Boyd. Greg Boyd, he's one of the leaders of what's called the openness of God theology. And Greg Boyd says that, yeah, God is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. God is incredibly knowing, but he's not all-knowing. So some things happen in this world which take God by surprise. And some things happen in this world that God would love to change, but he can't. And she found real comfort from the thought that Well, God would have helped her if only he could have. Now, that doesn't give me any comfort at all. To think that we're worshipping a God who can't help us makes me think we're worshipping the wrong God. Because as I read what the angel Gabriel said to Mary, that with him nothing is impossible. And as I read the Psalms, he knows the end from the beginning. All our days have been ordained for us. Every one of them has been written from the beginning of time. The God of the Bible isn't a God who, oh, if only I had the power, I would help you. But the God of the Bible is almighty. Nothing is too difficult for him. So, if... God is almighty, and if he is all-knowing, why do four-year-old girls die of brain tumours? Why are there landslides in Colombia? Why are there earthquakes and tsunamis? Or to bring it back to the book of Philemon in the Bible, why was Philemon robbed? Why didn't God stop it all? Well, the first thing we learn in this verse, verse 15, is that bad things do happen. Bad things do happen even to God's people. There was Philemon, a leader in the church, and he was robbed. He was burgled by uh, Onesimus. And Paul, who writes this book, he is languishing in chains in prison somewhere. Bad things are happening to God's people. It was only the beginning of this year when we were saddened to read the news of the death of, a, by a brain tumour actually, of the fifty-one-year-old Jill Sayward. I didn't know how to pronounce her surname—Sawward, Sayward, or something. You remember back in nineteen eighty-six, her dad was the vicar Michael Sayward, and he's written some of the songs we sing. And they were burgled. It was horrific. Um, Jill's uh, boyfriend was staying with them and he was hit with the cricket bat so hard that they, they split his skull she was not only beaten with the cricket bat but she was raped viciously by them and then it goes to court and the judge says well because she's a Christian it hasn't done her much harm so although the burglar gets about 15 years the rapist only gets 5 years or three and a half years and so she then starts to campaign for the um, rights of girls who've been raped. But it was a horrific experience for them. A godly family. It had repercussions. Jill said she's got to be able to forgive these people, and her boyfriend said we'll never forgive them. And so they split up. So it affected seven months later, their relationship ended. Scars carried down through the years. Why does God allow things like that to happen? Job tells us in the midst of the tragedy that his life seems to be falling to pieces around him and he says that man is born to trouble just as surely as sparks fly upwards. As surely as heat rises, so problems arise in our lives. And we don't need to look any further than the life of Jesus Christ, do we? From the moment he was born, Herod's men were out to kill him. All through his life, he was despised and rejected of men, opposed, criticized, condemned, hostile, and then at the end, an illegal trial and a horrific execution. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we walk in his footsteps. A minister wrote to me a few weeks ago and said that his last point for his sermon was, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And then he put up on the screen the picture of the early Christians being thrown to the lions in the (laughs) Colosseum. And thinking that sometimes God's wonderful plan for our lives (laughs) isn't quite what we think of as a wonderful plan for our lives. Sometimes it involves Incredible difficulties, sufferings, pain, and problems. Bad things happen to us, not because we're unconverted, we're converted. Not because we're sinful, Jesus was sinless. But because we live in a fallen, sinful world. Just look at Paul there languishing in prison. Why was he there? Because he was unconverted? No. Because he was a backslider? No. Because he was on fire for Jesus Christ. And Philemon there was a leader in the church, and yet here he is being robbed. And we see then that as God's people, bad things happen to us. First of all, we learn the obvious, that we sometimes get burgled, sometimes get robbed. I've been robbed a couple of times, burgled a couple of times. It's not a pleasant experience. You you come in and it suddenly the, the blood drains from you and you're kind of in numb shock. Someone has been in and burgled you. Some people have been robbed with uh, credit card fraud or have your handbag pinched or things like that. We're not immune to that. Philemon was robbed by... Onesimus. Another bad thing that happens to us is we can be deserted. Onesimus had run away. Now Onesimus, although he was a slave, he was part of the workforce. He was part of the family, the extended family. And some of us know what that's like, to have a child like the prodigal son run away. Or as Hosea in the Old Testament, his wife ran out and left him. We're not immune to these things. My own dad left home. Left home for a couple of years, then committed suicide. We're not immune to bad things happening to us. And then we see, not only do um, we get deserted, but bad things can happen to us at work. As I said, Odysseus was part of the workforce. And how many people as Christians, find that sometimes because we're Christians, people take advantage of us at work. People can turn against us at work, make work really difficult for us. It can be so difficult. Uh, My cousin, John Van Leerop, he and his best friend started their uh, jeweler's business together. Then John fell in love, got married, and when he was on his honeymoon, his partner emptied the bank account, ran off, and he found himself in Poland on his honeymoon, bankrupt. It was awful for him. Yeah, that, was, that was his best friend. His work partner did that to him. We're not immune from suffering at work. Things go bad for us. And lastly we can suffer injustice. This is why Paul was in prison. Because as Christians in this world, we can suffer immense injustice. Just read the story of Corrie Ten as she, during the Second World War, was imprisoned in various concentration camps. And finally, she was in Ravensbrück, a death camp for women. It was a horrific experience for her. And, and her sister died, and she was almost dead. She, she was in a horrific way and she was almost starved to death but then something happened so that she was released and she had to sign a form saying that she had been looked after well in the Nazi concentration camp that she had no complaints she said I'll sign anything just to get out of here and then they gave her a bit of bread and before she got out of the concentration camp someone had stolen her bit of bread she had two days on the train dying of starvation Just, ah, the cruelty, the injustice, the selfishness, and we can suffer. Well, Philemon was suffering because Onesimus had deserted him, robbed him. We don't know whether it had been a violent, whether he had uh, beaten them up, whether he had tied them up. We know he would have stolen as much as he possibly could. We don't know the hardships that would have been left behind. But we know that Philemon, as Paul, was suffering. But that's not the end of the story. If you look at verse 15, it says, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. Secondly, we read that bad things aren't the end of our story. Paul says the reason it all happened. Have you ever realized that? That when bad things happen to us, God has his reasons. I find that incredibly comforting to know. God has his reasons. Romans 8, 28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. When bad things happen to us, we notice, first of all, it's not the ultimate end. It says that you might have him back for good. The word Paul uses is eternally. Have him back forever and we know that whatever happens to us today this world is not our home we're going home to glory One day, soon and very soon, we will be with the king who will wipe away every tear from our eyes, every sin from our lives, every shame from our past, all washed away, and we shall be with the Lord forever. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be heaven. And those who've suffered, we think of the martyrs, they will receive special martyrs' crowns. They're going to be rewards. We'll look back and we'll see, yes, the Lord knew what he was doing. We'll look back and say the judge of the, of the whole earth has done right. John Bunyan was languishing in Bedford jail. In prison because he wanted the freedom to preach the gospel. And on Sundays in the prison, the prisoners would take it in turns preaching. Because there were lots of ministers in the prison. And this Sunday it was John Bunyan's turn to preach. And he was feeling so cold spiritually. So hostile to God. So anti-anything spiritual. You? Uh, I've gone through times like that. I don't know if you have. But sometimes the problems, the pressures, the pain, the suffering, the loneliness can just overwhelm us. And we can just feel so anti-God. And John Bunyan had to preach. And he didn't feel like anything. He said he didn't feel he could say five words for God. So he stood up in front of them all, like me in front of you, and he started thumbing through his Bible, not knowing what to say. And he started going through, and kept going through, the whole of the Old Testament, still nothing, going through the Gospels, the Acts, the Epistles, goes into Revelation, gets to the last page of his Bible. He gets to Revelation chapter 21, verse 11, and he reads... Revelation 21 verse 11 about the uh, holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper. And he thought, I could say something on that, which I find incredibly strange. because so <laughs> But he thought, I could say something on that, and he started to preach on it. And as he preached on it, so his heart began to warm. There he was in Bedford jail. Yes, but he was going home to the city that shone with the glory of God. And he started to preach and he got warm and he got excited. And then the people around him got excited. And they all thought this was so good that when he finished it, he spent the next few weeks writing it all out as a book. And it's been published as the, city of the holy city. You you can read it for yourself. I've got it back in Bournemouth in my uh, collection of the works of John Bunyan. But it's as he thought about heaven, even though he was feeling so miserable and unfortunate in Bedford jail, his heart burned within him because our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed one day. Yes, we suffer, but it's not the ultimate end. And the interesting thing is that um, bad things aren't our only present experience either. They are our present experience, and it can feel as if this is the only thing that's happening. We can feel as if everything is dark, everything is against us, everything has gone wrong. We can feel that it is black, 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 black. Ernie Palnock took me with him to Poland. We went around preaching in different churches. And one evening we were at a midweek meeting in a little church connected to a farm. And the uh, lady we were staying with was 25 years old. And her husband had been working in the garage. She called him for tea, and he didn't come in. She went out to get him, and she found him dead, being electrocuted. She'd only been married a few months. And as Ernie and I preached, she just sat and wept and wept and wept. We preached on Philippians 2, that Jesus Christ, who humbled himself even unto death, is highly exalted. She just wept and wept and wept. Sometimes it can feel as if everything is black. Everything is wrong. As if God has made awful mistakes. And yet if you read Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, just turn over one page from Philemon over the next page to Hebrews, or same page for me, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, listen, sustaining all things by his powerful word. (laughs) All things, he's in control, he's sustaining it. Read Ephesians 1, verse 11. He's working out everything according to his purpose. He's in control. So why are there terrorists? Why are there drunk drivers? Why are there uh, epidemics, cancer and things? So I'll explain in a minute. We don't know the answers. What we do know is that God reigns. David and Surveyor Hurst. Sorry, David and Surveyor Flood. She became a Hurst later. David and Svea Flood went out to the Belgian Congo as missionaries in 1921. They were in the mission compound there and they thought, how hey, we're separated from the people we want to reach, let's go and live in the tribe. So they joined up with another uh, zealous young missionary couple called the Ericssons, and the four of them went to live in the village of Ndolora. But they get to the village and the village chief won't allow them to live in the village because he's frightened that their new religion will offend their gods and he'll punish them all. And so he says to these four missionaries, you can only live uh, half a mile away as near as you can come to the village. And so they had to set up camp uh, half a mile away up the hill. And then the chief said, you're allowed to have no contact with the village at all. They explained, well, they've got to eat. He says, all right, twice a week, one boy will come and sell you eggs and chickens. And so the four of them were there, half a mile away from the village they wanted to reach. No contact at all with the people. Well, Svea flood, she said, well, if... This little boy is the only boy in this tribe that I'm allowed to witness to. I'm going to do my best to win him to the Lord. And so she tried to communicate to him. And she, she tried to win him for Christ. She tried to um, see him converted. She wasn't sure if he understood or not. But he would come twice a week, sell the chickens and the eggs, and she would pray with him and A witness to him. Then the couple with David and Surveyor Flood got so discouraged, they said, we're off. We're not staying here. We're half a mile away. We have no contact with the people. We're off. So they went back to the mission compound. So now David and Surveyor Flood and their little boy, David, lived half a mile away from the village. No contact at all. Surveyor Flood started getting serious bouts of malaria, and then she got pregnant. She gave birth to a little girl called Ina, A-I-N-A, Ina. Seventeen days after Ina was born, suffering with malaria, the weakness from giving birth, severe flood died. David flood dug her grave, put up a white cross, and then something snapped inside it. And he, at that moment, rejected God completely. He picked up his two children. He took them down the hill to the mission compound. He said to the Eriksons, here's my baby. There's no way I can look after the baby. You look after the baby. And then he took his son David and went back to Sweden. Three days later, the Ericssons died being poisoned. And so the baby was then taken over by some American missionaries who felt they couldn't bring up a baby in the Belgian Congo. So they returned to America where he got a job as a pastor of a church. And because her name was Ina, was a strange name, they changed her name to Aggie. And Aggie grew up in America. She met a young lad at Bible college uh, and she married him and became Aggie Hurst. One day, she was at home when a magazine came through her letterbox. She has no idea who put the magazine through her letterbox. It was a religious magazine, and it was all in Swedish. <laughs> she couldn't read one word of it. She looked through the pages, and she saw a photograph of a grave with a white cross on it, and the name Svea. Svea, forgotten the name. Dun, dun, dun. Flood, thank you. Surveyor, flood. So she thought, this is interesting. So she ran to the Bible college where she knew someone could read Swedish and said, explain this story to me. So he read the story to her and found that the little boy who came and brought them the eggs and the chickens had truly been converted. And when all the missionaries left, he became the evangelist, the teacher in the village. He taught the children and the children were converted. The children then witnessed to their parents and the parents were converted and then the chief was converted and now he is the pastor of a church of 600 people in that area. She couldn't believe it. It was amazing. So when it was their 25th wedding anniversary the hearse decided they would go back to Sweden and she would look out her old family. She saw her brother, who was a drunk. She saw her half-brothers and sisters. And she said, can I see my dad? They said, well, you don't want to see him. He lives in an attic. He's dying with diabetes and alcohol abuse. But if you do go and see him, you mustn't mention God. He flies into a rage if anyone mentions God. Well, she says she wants to see him. So she goes and sees her dad, this pitiful man in his bed dying. And she says to him, Dad, I'm Ina. He says, he said, oh, I'm sorry I, I gave you away. I didn't really want to give you away. She says, that's all right. God has looked after me. And he explodes in a rage and says, God hasn't looked after you. God has ruined our lives. She says, I want to tell you a story. And she told him the story of the little boy with the eggs and the chickens and the work that has gone. And now the grave of his wife is about the most treasured place in that whole community. And that his wife, Severe uh, Flood, is such a hero to the people. Well, his heart softens. And over the next few weeks, he turns back to the Lord. Within seven months, he's dead. But he spends his last three days only singing the praises of God in Swahili because he discovered that what he thought was only, only, only horribly bad and God was destroying his life was that God working in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. And this is the truth of the Christian life. We don't understand what God is doing. He knows. We trust. Well, I have another two points. The second point is to explain the theology of this. And the point after that has six points. (laughs) What is the application of this? And of course, I don't have time to do this. But there is a poem that I printed, which I've left on the printer, about, yeah, it's on the photocopier out there, about God weaving the tapestry. And all we can see is the backside. We don't know what he is doing. But he knows, he sees, and we trust. And we don't understand. It's a mystery of providence. And so we say with the Apostle Paul, perhaps the reason. And there are so many things in our lives that we don't understand. And some of them we just get a little glimpse as to what God is doing. And we say, perhaps. But we do know that one day we shall kneel before the throne of God in heaven and we shall cast our crowns at his feet, lost in wonder, love and praise. Because every day of our lives, even through the valley of the shadow of death, he has been our shepherd. And he has led us all the way to glory.